So we are starting our brand new series today called Unwrapped. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love Christmas. Now that it is Christmas time, because I, I believe that Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving, not a day earlier, we decorate our entire house in one day. We got our tree. We decorated all the outside. Um, our entire house is fully Christmased out. It is, it is super decorated. I love Christmas time. I love uh, the Christmas songs, even though um, some I don't love as much, but I love most of the Christmas songs. I love decorating. I love just the whole season of Christmas time. And um, when I think of Christmas, it's very easy for me, and you might be like me, where you start to think back of like how Christmas was when you were a child, when you were a kid, and that, that wonder that you had as a kid. And I was, thinking about, I was thinking back about some of the things that happened when I was a kid, and there's a home video of me, and I was trying to get it this week, but I wasn't able to, of, um, it's my first memory of Christmas, and it might just be a memory of the video that I watch of Christmas, um, but on Christmas Eve, on my dad's side, we would all hang out at my grandparents' house, and when I was a kid, I had a lisp. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, I had a lisp, and sometimes that lisp comes out when I'm, like, really angry, <laughs> and so imagine fighting with me, and I start talking in a lisp. Like, it, it destroys all credibility when I'm trying to argue. So there's a video of me very early on where they're saying, Everyone say Merry Christmas, and I can just remember off the top of my head just me going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. That's how I said it in the video. Um, I was so adorable as a kid, and, uh, and I eventually grew up. And then I remember um, one of my favorite presents I've ever received. I was in fifth grade, and I am a big Ravens fan, and it is fun watching Lamar Jackson change football history, okay? Um, but I'm a big Ravens fan, and as a Ravens fan, one year I asked for a, uh, a big Ravens winter coat, like a... NFL professional Ravens winter coat, and my brother did not. I asked for one, my brother didn't. And um, I'm putting this, this coat on. I, I opened the, this present last, my big present. I get so excited. I'm like, yes, I got a present. I'm putting it on. I'm so excited for it. And my dad, being very aware, and some of you know my dad, he's, he, he's normally our, our head greeter, um, he was watching, and he's filming it, and he sees my brother looking at me in just the most jealous look he's ever seen. My brother did not ask for a coat. So why would he get a coat? He didn't ask for one. And he sees, him, he sees me just putting this coat on, pure joy, and he's like, oh, I should ask for a coat. So my dad saw an opportunity. He was like, hey, Shane, don't worry. You got a new coat too. And he went, really? He said, yeah, you get Eric's old one. He doesn't need it. He got a new one. You can have his old one. So, so much joy, just so much sorrow. So maybe you could think of some great memories as a kid when you were a kid and, and this Christmas season, because this season, it really brings out that wonder in all of us. And as a kid, man, there was just so much wonder. But when you get older, no matter how much you love Christmas, no matter how much you try, some of that wonder just goes away because you're an adult now and you have responsibilities. Like when I was a kid, all I was worried about was how many presents I was going to get, how, how I was going to get all the presents I wanted. My brother and I would like coordinate our list to make sure we got everything. We wanted certain video games, I'd make sure we would coordinate it. That's all I worried about when I was a kid. But now that I'm an adult, I worry about how I'm going to purchase all these gifts, how I'm going to afford all these gifts, making sure I get everyone their gifts. It changes. Uh, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for the house to get lit up. And now as an adult, I'm just worried that half the lights aren't going to work. And they never do. Like, and I don't even, some of you might like try to fix those lights. You can do that. It's a waste of time. I just buy new ones. I'm not going through all those lights. They're, they're not that expensive. So that's what I worry about as an adult. Maybe for you, you just love Christmas songs when you were a kid, and I love Christmas songs. But now that I'm an adult, I'm going to murder somebody if I hear All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. That's how I feel about it, right? So there's certain songs I just don't want to hear. And then as a kid, 
the Jesus story, the story of Jesus being born in a manger and the shepherds and the wise men, I was in all of that story. But now that I'm an adult, I've heard that story over and over and over. And maybe if you're like me, the wonder of that story can start to diminish because it's that time of year again. So we're going to talk about that story again. And if you've been in church long enough, you've heard the story, right? You know the story like the back of your hand. You're like, you, know, you can't teach me anything this series that I already know because I've heard this story. I've been in church long enough. Every year we talk about this story. So that might be you. But what I'm going to ask you for this entire series all the way up to Christmas Eve, and what I am going to try to do is to look at Christmas like a child with that natural wonder that a kid had, to push aside your adult responsibilities and start to look at Christmas again like that. Here's our goal. We want you to rediscover the wonder of Christmas. That's our goal. For you to rediscover that wonder that you had when you were a kid, that now that you're older and you have responsibilities, to rediscover that. So what I'm going to ask is for, this, for today and, and all the weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, is for you to push aside your responsibilities Push aside all the things you have to do coming up. Push aside all the things that you're worried about. And while you're here for an hour, to look at Christmas like a kid. Because here's what a kid has already started to do. And this is what we're going to learn about today. Your kids are already starting to count down the days until Christmas. They're already counting it down. There are 20, how many? 24 days until Christmas, right? Your kids know that. My kids, they, they put an X on the calendar. We have certain things that they're keeping track of it. Every day they wake up and go, is it Christmas today? It's like, no, it's not Christmas today. And they think that if it's Christmas, it has to snow. So last year when we woke up and it wasn't snowing, they were like, it's not Christmas. It's not snowing. They just think for some reason it has to go together. Your kids, and, and when you were a kid, you were counting down the days. You could not wait. There was so much anticipation for Christmas. But as adults, we should relearn to have that eager anticipation for what's to come. But a lot of us have lost that. So here's what I, I hope we can learn today, to have eager anticipation, which is this. Eager anticipation is wanting and expecting God to do what he promised. That's what eager anticipation is. Wanting and also expecting God to do what he promised you he would do. What he promised in his word that he would do for you. Having eager anticipation is wanting and expecting that. But a lot of us as adults have lost this. And maybe you've lost this because uh, you, you feel like, you know what, I gave my life to Christ. If, if you're here and you say you're a follower of Jesus, I gave my life to Christ, like, I don't want to also burden him with the rest of my life. Like, thank you for salvation, and I don't want to ask any more. Or most likely, here's why you, some of us have trouble with eager anticipation and expecting God to do something. It's because if we expect something and he doesn't do it, then we're disappointed. So if we just never expect it, we'll never be disappointed. So for a lot of us, we have just stopped expecting. And here's what we've made our faith. We've taken our faith and we've taken out the salvation part of our relationship with God and left the rest because we don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to ask God for too much. So we'll take the salvation. Thank you for getting me to heaven. Push the rest aside because we don't have eager anticipation anymore. And this is exactly the setting that Jesus came into. Our Christmas story picks up. See, back before Jesus came, there was 400 years of silence between God and his people. 
400 years of a group of people that were following a God that did all these miracles that they heard about from their ancestors, all these amazing things they did, and then 400 years went by where he, they didn't hear a single thing, didn't see a sign from God, nothing. People were born and died without ever hearing from God. 400 years of silence. So what happens in 400 years of silence? You stop anticipating God's going to do anything. You stop expecting and that's exactly where the Christmas story picks up. So today, Kimmy read it for us, but we're going to be looking at Galatians. If you have, Galatians, if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 4, your Bibles or your Bible apps. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to start in uh, verse 4. And here's what Paul, who is writing this after, after the, the birth of Jesus, after Jesus died, after he ascended to heaven. This is way after that, and he's, and he's talking to uh, the Christians, to a church. And here's what he says in the first, first two verses, Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But when the set time had fully Come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Matt, have you skipped that slide? Born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. But when the set time had fully come, if you have your Bibles, I want you to underline or circle that part. If you have your Bible apps, highlight that. But when the set time had fully come, here's what that means. That there is a time for everything. And you know that, and I know that. There's a right time for things. We know we just got through fall. During fall, we do a lot of pumpkin stuff, right? You go to Starbucks, you get your pumpkin spice latte. Um, you go pumpkin picking, you have pumpkin seeds. You do a lot of pumpkin stuff, right? You would be a weirdo if you did pumpkin stuff in summer, right? Like, you can't get no pumpkin spice lattes. I'm not knocking those. I love pumpkin spice lattes because they're delicious. I'm basic. I don't care. It's delicious, right? But you don't do pumpkins in summer. Why? It's not the time for it. In summer, I wear flip-flops pretty much every day. It's all I wear because they're so easy to put on. Um, and you might be people that wear flip-flops in the winter, but you shouldn't, okay? It's winter. Like, it's your choice to wear flip-flops in the winter. It's my choice to make fun of you for wearing flip-flops in the winter, okay? That's, that's, that's what it is. So there are set times for certain things. And Jesus says that this, and Paul is writing that the set time had fully come. Jesus came at the set time. That means the appointed time, the planned time, the time that was prepared. What does that mean? Those 400 years of silence was planned because the set time was coming, because the time that God had planned out was about to come. And what I find interesting about the time period that Jesus came is, if you look at it historically from, um, thanks buddy, I'll take it. It's my uh, awesome beard that's doing that, I think, right? <laughs> hey, chill out. All right. Historically, this was the set time. If you look at it historically, here's what was happening historically in that culture in that time period back then. Um, Rome was in charge. Rome had, was in charge of everything at this point, right when Jesus was about to be born. And Rome, what they did is they built roads everywhere. So that made it as easy as possible historically for you to get from town to town. And Rome was in the center of it. All roads led back to Rome. The world was at peace. It was at peace because the Roman Empire ruled it, so it was at peace. And the Roman Empire, due to the Roman conquest, they brought two languages that everyone knew, Latin and Greek. Those are two languages that were spoke all around that Roman Empire. And so that means that it was as easy as possible in that time period to communicate to somebody else, to send communication. Was, that was the easiest time until that time, until recently, that it was as easy as possible for you to communicate with people. And if you look at the Old Testament prophecies, we're going to talk about that next week, all the prophecies that were coming that were talking about the Messiah to come were done. They were ready to be done. 
So the set time had fully come. It was the perfect time to send Jesus. Then in verse 6, Paul continues, Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, at the perfect time, God sent his son so that you could be adopted into his family. And because you are adopted into his family, you have the spirit of God inside of you who is yelling and screaming out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The word Abba here can also be loosely translated to dad. It's a more personal way of saying the word father. It's not just a father, it's, it's a dad. And there, there is a big difference between a father and a dad. Some of you in your lives, you maybe had a father and you wish you had a dad. There's a big difference. We know that difference. But our loving father isn't just a father. He's also our dad. So I'm going to give you four ways, and if you have your notes, you can write these down. Four differences between a father and a dad really quickly. Number one, a father hears you. A dad listens. A father will hear what you're saying, but a dad actually listens to what you say. A father may hear it, but a father makes no effort to bridge the gap between what what their child is saying and what they're hearing. They make no effort because they heard it, they're not actually listening. Where a dad, on the other hand, listens and understands what their children are going through. I have trouble with this sometimes because my kids will tell me about things that take forever. They tell me stories that take a long time, that have no punchline, that I don't know where it's going, and it's hard for me to actually listen. Sometimes just like there's, I'm just hearing it, and, and then they'll, and they'll catch me. They'll be like, Dad, did you hear what I said? I said, oh, sorry. I was not listening. But a dad, a dad listens, understands, and your heavenly father doesn't just hear you when you call out to him, but your heavenly father is a dad who understands you. He listens to you. He understands what you are going through. When you hurt, he hurts. When you mourn, he comforts you. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, a father hears you, but a dad listens. Number two, a father instills fear, a dad produces joy. A father's number one goal is to make sure you respect them. And they'll do whatever it takes to make sure that you do not talk back. Yes, sir. No, sir. You're going to respect me no matter what. And their kids may be afraid of them, but they don't necessarily get a lot of joy. That's what a father does. But a dad doesn't do that. A dad helps their kids produce joy in life. The way a dad loves creates purpose. It creates passion. It creates happiness. When you are a dad, you want respect, but that's not your number one goal. You want your kids to have joy in life. And we serve a God that deserves our honor and respect. And if you read Scripture, you'll see over and over, Scripture talks about how we should fear God. That is a part of it. That's us understanding who God is. But if he was just a father, then he would be a tyrant that we have to tremble in front of, and that's it. But he's not just a father. He's also our dad, which means that he understands you, and he wants you to have joy in life. We're going to talk about this throughout the series. He wants you to have joy. We don't serve a God that just wants fear above all else, but he wants you to have joy in your life. Not happiness, which is just part of your circumstances, but joy, which is eternal. That's what a father does. Number three, a father judges you, a dad understands you. A father judges you, and a dad understands you. See, a father judges when you don't make the cut. That's what he does. Matt, 
skip this slide. Thank you. A father judges when you don't make the cut. That's what a father does. He judges you. But that's not what a dad does. A father might express their disappointment when you aren't good enough and you aren't reaching that par and you aren't the person that they thought you would, were going to be. Um, my wife and I are kind of going through this a little bit right now because right now um, we had our girls play soccer and my wife loves soccer. I, I want all my kids to play sports. I think sports teach your kids a lot of great things about how life is not fair and that you can try really hard and still lose. Like, there's some things you need to learn in life, right? You're going to learn it one day. Sports help you learn that. So with sports, uh, we had them play soccer. My wife loves soccer, so we had them play. And my middle child is naturally good at soccer and doesn't care at all about it. Like, she has no desire. She, she, she'll play, and, like, within a minute, she's out. She doesn't want anything to do with it. She's good at it. Like, she's aggressive. She'll knock kids over. Like, one time, she, was, she knocked a kid over. And I know that they shouldn't be knocking kids over, but I want them to be aggressive, so I'm not, like, like, yeah, be aggressive. Just put, keep your hands down and knock them over, okay? Don't push them. So, but Savannah loves it. Um, Savannah's really good at it. She doesn't love it. So she might not want to play soccer, which we've all dreamed of. My, my wife's dreamed of girls playing soccer. Brooklyn, our oldest one, is, is not bad at soccer. She's not great at it. Uh, but she, she does it, but she just kind of runs around. She's not really paying attention the whole time. So we might have kids that, that don't live up to what we thought they were going to do. That we want them to play soccer. I want my son to play baseball because I played baseball. And he might not care about baseball at all. A father judges you. It says, why aren't you making the cut? Why aren't you as good as you're supposed to be? But that's not what a dad does. A dad understands that you are unique, that you are different, and he wants to understand you. If we only had the God of the Old Testament, all we would have is a father that judges us. Because when you look at the Old Testament, that's all we see over and over and over is a father who says, who judges you for doing something wrong. He looks at this group of people, the Israelites, which he had an old covenant that was made just for that group of people, and he takes that and he takes that covenant and he uses that to, make, to judge them. He gives them grace, but then he judges them. If we did not have the New Testament, New Covenant, we wouldn't have a dad in this situation. But luckily, he sent his son because he knew that we could not pay for our own sins. So when him sending his son showed that he loves us and that we are forgiven, even though we are guilty, which is judgment, we are guilty, we are forgiven because he is our dad, our Abba. He, we, he, we are understood. And then number four, the last one, a father rejects you because of your flaws. A dad accepts you in spite of them. A father rejects you because of your flaws, and a dad accepts you in spite of them. I have seen in both parents, but I've definitely seen this in, in dads, where I've seen dads that are trying to live out their missed ambitions through their kids. So they need to play baseball, or they need to play in a band, or they need to play a certain sport because they almost made it to the pros and they didn't do it, so now that's all their kid has to do because they're trying to live it out into their kids. That's not what a dad does. A father will reject you because of your flaws, that you aren't good enough, but that's not what a dad does. A dad accepts you even with your flaws and even with your weakness. And what you need to understand is that no matter who you are, God accepts you with your flaws, with the things you struggle with, with the things that no one else knows, with the things that you do behind closed doors. God loves you anyways. He accepts you. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is showing that, that God loves you by sending his son for you. That's what Christmas shows, that we don't need to earn it because we can't earn it. But God is, is a giving God who, under, who loves you and accepts you despite your flaws, and we know that because he sends Jesus. Paul finishes up in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, So you are no longer a slave, 
but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That you are no longer a slave. I, I love how it says, so you are no longer. It doesn't say we. It says, so you are no longer a slave, not we. I love that it says you because that's personal. When Paul is writing this to the audience he's writing it to, and when we are reading it, we're talking about us. So you are no longer a slave. Because God is Abba, which means dad, you are no longer a slave. You with your own identity, you with your own name, you with your own experiences and strengths, you with your own struggles, you are no longer a slave. What I mean by slave, you are no longer a slave to your own sin because God freed you from that. The sin that traps us, that chains us up, you are no longer a slave to that. But instead, we are his child and God has made, also, God has made you also an heir. That means that, that we have received the grace of Jesus Christ and what Jesus is owed, we now get because we are an heir to the God of the universe. So let's recap this verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you, you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's what he's done. So in this season, we are trying to anticipate what God is going to do. We are trying to have that eager anticipation that our kids had or that we had when we were kids. That eager anticipation of what God is going to do. The question I have for you is what is stopping you from eagerly anticipating what God's going to do in your life? What is it? What is it that you were praying about at one point and you stopped praying about it because you don't feel like God's ever going to show up with it? Because eager anticipation is wanting and expecting God to do what he promised. That's what eager anticipation is. And when you eagerly anticipate God to move in your life, when you do that, you live your life with the assumption that he is going to show up. That's what eager anticipation is. Let's put that, can we put that slide up? And I want everyone to read this with, with me. This is what eager anticipation is. Matt, help me out, buddy. The next slide, please. Thank you. Anytime, buddy. Isn't that working? Eager anticipation is wanting and expecting God. Thank you. All right. Eager anticipation is wanting and expecting God to do what he promised. Everyone read that, repeat that with me in the count of three. One, two, three. Eager anticipation. When you eagerly anticipate God to move in your life, when you do that, when you eagerly anticipate that, you have the assumption that God is going to show up in your life. That means the way you live now and what you do now is doing it, expecting God to do what he says he's going to do. You've been praying for God to show up, and you know that God loves you and he comforts you, and you've been praying, so you're going to move forward expecting that one day he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. But when the set time had fully 
come. I don't know how long it's going to take, but when we have eager anticipation, we are wanting and expecting God to do something. So we move forward knowing that eventually God is going to show up. It might not be the way we expect it, but we know that it's going to be the way that he determined it. Eager anticipation is wanting and expecting God to show up, to do what he's going to promise. And I have great news for you. That time has come. The set time that God promised is now. See, God came at the right time. God provided at the right time. And the right time is now. God came at the right time. The time we need him the most, he came at that time. He provided for you and for me at the right time. And the right time is right now. So I don't know what that is for you that you are eagerly anticipating or that you want to be eagerly anticipating. Maybe for you, it's, it's your marriage. And you have been married for a while, you haven't been married for a while, and you just have been going down this bad road in your marriage, and you're not sure how to get back. And you've been praying to God, God, I need your help with this, and, and that's what you've been doing. The right time is now for you to take that first step and to trust that God is going to show up in your marriage. It's going to take work. It's going to take you moving forward. But to trust that God is going to show up in your marriage, now is the time where you can start anticipating for God to do a miracle in your marriage. Now is that time. Maybe for you with your kids. And you've been so worried about your kids. Maybe your kids have gotten older or they're not at that age yet and you are just thinking about what, what's going to happen when they get older or they are older and you're worried about some decisions they've made and you're not sure how you're ever going to build that relationship back or what's going to happen with them. Eager anticipation is trusting that God's going to do something and at the right time he will and he's providing at the right time and now is the right time. And today can be that first step that you can take and trust with God that he is going to do what he says he's going to do with your kid's life. Maybe it's your life circumstance. It's the job you're in. It's, it's just what's going on in your life currently. And you've been praying for God to do something about it. You've been praying for God to show up. Now is the time. I'm not sure how long it's going to take for you to see it, but now is the time to start moving forward knowing that God is going to do something about your circumstance. It might not be what you want it to be. It might not be what you think it should be. But we know that God loves us, and we know that because of Christmas. So if we know that, we need to take that step forward, assuming that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to show up in whatever that circumstance is for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For he says, in the time of my favor and in the days of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Um, if I'm being completely open and vulnerable with you, what some of you are struggling with is something that I struggle with, and that's doubt. You're not sure of how much this stuff you even believe. You've heard the Jesus story so many times. You're not even sure if it's a real story anymore, just a story. And I have gone through seasons and time periods where I have struggled with doubt. And here's one thing, if, and if I'm being completely honest, here's one thing that at times I keep coming up in my head. Because of the job that I have, because I'm a pastor, because of the upbringing I had, I grew up in a Christian home, 
that at times after I start to think, do I push my doubts just to the other side? Because I know if I worked on those doubts and I stopped believing this stuff that my life would be like, what would I do? It's my job. And there's times where I'm like, feel like I'm praying to God and nothing's happening. Then I'm praying for God to show up in someone's life and they just keep going the wrong way. And then I'm praying for God to do something in my life and it doesn't happen. And there's time periods where I just struggle with doubt. I know I'm your pastor, but I do. Maybe for you, that's you. That you have those time periods and right now is that time where you're struggling with whether you even believe any of this stuff. Here's what I want to tell you. God came for you at the right time. He sent his son into this world. All evidence proves that Jesus was a real person that really lived, that really came. And then 500 people witnessed after he died, coming back like three days later to prove that he is who he said he is. If he's not God, we shouldn't listen to him. Because if I came up here and did a lot of great things but told you it's because I'm God, you should not listen to me. Jesus never said he wasn't God. He said, I am the way. So if he doesn't die and come back to life, there should be no, there should be no church. There should be no movement that comes out of it. The, the emperor Nero should have destroyed it. But I believe he did. God came at the right time. He provided for you at the right time. And if you're here and you have any of those struggles, now is the right time. The right time is now. So what do you need God to do for you now? Can we pray together? Dear God, I thank you for being the God that came at the right time, provided at the right time, that now is the right time. I thank you for this season that we could celebrate the fact that you are not just our father, but you are our dad. And that we are no longer a slave to our sins, but we are a child of yours. We are here today to cry out to you, Abba, Father. God, I pray for the people that are in this room that are just, they have that thing that they are struggling with. Maybe they prayed to you about and they stopped. They're no longer anticipating you're going to do anything about it. Maybe it's the marriage that they're currently in that they have just given up hope on it. Maybe, maybe it is their kids' lives that they've just gone so far and you just aren't sure how they're going to come back. Maybe it's their life circumstances. Maybe it's their own faith and their own doubts. God, I pray that right now, that this be the moment that we start eagerly anticipating again. That we start moving forward knowing that you're going to show up. I just want to give you just a little bit of time between you and God to pray to him right now for whatever that thing is that you are eagerly anticipating. That thing they used to eagerly anticipate, but you gave up on it. I want you to take this moment right now to, between you and God to pray for whatever that is. Whether it's your family, your life circumstances, your own faith, your, somebody else in your life. Whatever that is, take this time right now between you and God to pray for that eager anticipation.
Dear God, today we move forward know what you're going to do, what you're going to do. The Christmas story reminds us that you are a God that fulfills your promises. Help us to have the courage to take that first step, knowing and assuming that you are going to provide. To leave here living life differently, living life like we know you're going to do what you're going to do. Thank you for showing through the sending of your son that you are not just simply our father, but you're our dad. That you love us. You provide for us. You want what's best for us. You hear us. You understand us. You mourn with us. You comfort us. That you have a plan for us. Thank you for your son. In your son's name, amen. I want to uh, close today with a closing song, so I want to encourage you guys to stay with us.